Welcome back, everybody. We've got a guest that I listened to a long time ago and kind of just fell off my radar, but was still crushing it and doing amazing things. Dan Doty. Uh, you might have heard Dan on the Joe Rogan Experience. I think he's been a guest a few times. Um, learned some really cool things. I didn't realize he was, I, I thought he had something to do with Mediator TV. Didn't realize he produced it and. Um, obviously super close with Steve Ranella and all those guys. So we have a lot to talk about on this one. We really talk about the men's movement quite a bit. Um, Dan's known for being a hunter and a tracker and, and, a um, a psychonaut, I guess that was new to me as well. So there was, there was a lot of cool stuff and a lot of awesome parallels in this conversation. I know you guys are going to dig it. Dan is somebody that uh, I've learned a lot from. I certainly do on this episode, and uh, he's a father and just an awesome, awesome human being. And he gives uh, he gives me a lot of hope, knowing that there are people like him in the world, pushing the needle and getting people to find their best selves. We'll we'll for sure run this one back on another date. I, I really enjoyed this one with him. There's a number of ways you can support this podcast. Don't forget, leave us a five star rating so other people can see it. With a cool review, with one or two ways the show has helped you out in life, and um, or just something you like about it. I mean, maybe the show hasn't helped you at all, and you just really enjoy the commentary, and in no way, shape, or form has it changed your life. That's fine, too. But uh, yeah, all those readings are appreciated. They keep, um, keep people seeing the new eyes fresh on the show, so that's a good thing. And, of course, support our sponsors because these guys make this show possible. We are sponsored by Soul CBD. Soul CBD was founded by Mike Lee, a world-ranked professional boxer, and Angie Lee, a marketing expert, keynote speaker, and serial entrepreneur, after experiencing their own struggles with an autoimmune disorder and anxiety. It is grown in the USA and organically farmed, gluten-free, and it has incredible flavors. This is the best-tasting CBD that I've ever had. All their products contain zero THC and are third-party lab tested. You can find the COAs on the website. What that boils down to is, is quite often I get a lot of questions around, hey, is the 0.3% THC going to show up on uh, my drug test? And the truth is that's, that's different for everybody. These guys are 0.0% THC, which is guaranteeing you nothing's going to pop positive at the job that requires you to take a piss test. And I'm sorry if you have a job that requires you to take a piss test. You need to think about other options. But for now, if that's what you got to do, do not worry. You can still take a super high-quality organic CBD from Soul CBD. This is physician-formulated and backed by science. Consistency is the key. They're best-tasting CBD on the planet. And CBD that doesn't taste like dirt or earthy is enjoyable, which means if it has amazing taste, you're going to look forward to having it and you're going to use it more consistently. And just like anything else, reinforces this reinforces good habits with consistency. They make CBD oil drops available in three different strengths, 500 mg, 1,000 mg, 1,500 mg, with flavors of peppermint, orange, lemon lime, and watermelon mint, which is my absolute favorite. Bear absolutely loves this. My six-year-old, of course, you all know this. They've got CBD gummies, and I don't, I'm not a huge fan of the gummies just for, I'm just, I've never been a fan of gummies. I don't like making candy out of good stuff, but if you have kids that do, do not like um, droppers and things like that, then this is an excellent way to help them balance out 
and get some extra cannabinoids that are going to help their immune system and help them feel right as rain. They have CBD capsules, and this is where stuff gets really cool and innovative. They have a 25 mega CBD capsule that has uh, some caffeine in it to make you alert. It's called alert. They have a dream one that has melatonin and some other amazing nutrients that'll help you get to sleep on time. They have relief, chill, and immunity, and they have a phenomenal CBD cream with 1,500 milligrams of CBD. I absolutely love this stuff. I highly recommend it. CBD, a long time ago, there's an old video, I think, of me on bjpen.com while I was still fighting in the UFC, and I was talking about how I use CBD to come off of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. Specifically, I was taking four 200-milligram ibuprofen twice a day just to get through fight camp. And that continued for quite some time just because of the inflammation in my body and the pain from the nagging injuries and high mileage. And it parallels a lot with Mike. I got to hang out with Mike. We worked out on it. We had an amazing conversation. I'm I'm sure I'm going to have him on this podcast at some point. But Mike and I, and, and, you know, even if you didn't fight professionally, it's, it's quite likely you've put your body through the ringer at some point if you're old enough. I mean, we all have our own wear and tear. And I do not like relying on pharmaceuticals, especially uh, any pharmaceutical, whether it's over-the-counter or not. There's a time and a place for that, no doubt, no doubt. There's a time and a place for antibiotics, no doubt about it, and they can save lives. But to rely on them every time you get sick, that's not the move. And to rely on anti-inflammatories for everyday wakes and pains, that's not the move either. That's going to deteriorate your gut lining and do all sorts of bad stuff. CBD goes well beyond the ability to lower inflammation, to mitigate pain, and to lower anxiety and things of that nature. We're still finding out all of the wonderful things that cannabinoids do with our own endocannabinoid system. And as I've mentioned with other plant medicines, it is curious to me in the wonderful orchestra that God has created that all of these plants have receptors in our body. So there is no doubt that these things go hand in hand with us. You could say if you're uh, an evolutionary folk person that... that, uh, we have evolved with the plants. And I, that's something Dennis McKenna says that I absolutely love. Um, there's no doubt you're going to feel this CBD and it tastes phenomenal. So check it out over at mysoulcbd.com. That is M-Y-S-O-U-L-C-B-D.com and apply code KKP at checkout for 15% off site-wide. That's everything in the store. Mysoulcbd.com, KKP at checkout, 15% off everything. We are also brought to you today by paleovalley.com. Paleo Valley beef sticks are some of my favorite beef sticks on the planet. Their beef sticks are 100% grass-fed and grass-finished. Many on the market claim grass-fed, but they are actually finished on grains, which are poorly tolerated by the animals that eat them, contrary to certain beliefs. And uh, yeah, the stomachs, <laughs> the four stomachs in cattle do not have the ability to break down grains well. That's why they pack on fat. And in addition to that, these are low-quality grains. So, you know, this, this, this argument that goes back and forth about if cows can handle anything that's, if, oh, they're vegetarians, they can handle any kind of vegetable. No, they eat grass, period. That's what they eat, and they do very well on that. You can feed them other things, but they're not going to do well on that. So it's nice to know that if I'm going to have a snack, it's from the highest quality beef on the planet. They source beef sourced from small domestic farms in the United States of America. They use real organic spices to flavor their beef sticks versus conventional spices sprayed with pesticides or natural flavors often made from GMO corn. That's a bad thing. They ferment their sticks 
well, GMO corn's a bad thing, not what Paleo Valley's using. They ferment their sticks, which creates natural occurring probiotics, which are great for gut health. This is amazing. They taste amazing, and they're a great protein snack to grab on the go. They are high in omega-3 fatty acids, vitamins, minerals, glutathione, CLA, conjugated linoleic acid, which is uh, the fat that has been shown to help you burn fat. They're a highly bioavailable protein, and they're also keto-friendly. Heyo, a great protein-rich snack to grab on the go. And um, this, is, this is a phenomenal company. They refuse to cut corners. They prioritize health over profit. They use conscientious processing and manufacturing. They source only the highest quality ingredients available and have a strict focus on bringing nutrient density back to the dinner table. They have a passion for not only health, but environmental restoration and animal welfare. We're talking regenerative agriculture here, folks. And they are an accessible family-owned company. Head over to paleovalley.com and use discount code KYLE for 15% off. That's paleovalley.com, discount code KYLE for 15% off. Um, and if you're doing any type of prepping, <laughs> I'll just say this, better than buying a three-month uh, garbage pail stack from some of the doomsday preppers that, uh, oh, you just rehydrate it with water. Like, that's garbage. I want to know that, that the, the things that I'm prepping with for the next snowstorm or the next time the power goes out, I want to know that A, I actually like it, my kids like it, B, and C, that it's the highest quality stuff, that I'm not sacrificing, you know, if the stores get shut down again in Austin, I don't want to sacrifice nutrition uh, just to get by and survive. Obviously, if it came to that, I would have to do that, but I'm not foraging in the, in the forest for, you know, different types of nettle and mushrooms that I can eat that are going to keep me alive. I don't want it to come to that. I want to have the highest quality ingredients possible and know that I actually enjoy eating this. And this is quite phenomenal. The beef sticks are incredible. They have all sorts of goodies and they have some incredible supplements. Just go over to paleovalley.com, check it all out, and do not forget the promo code Kyle at checkout for 15% off. We're brought to you by Lucy.co. These guys were founded by Caltech scientists who are former smokers looking for a better and cleaner nicotine alternative, and they researched and developed this for three years. They created a nicotine gum with four milligrams of nicotine that has three flavors, wintergreen, cinnamon, and pomegranate. Lucy also has a lozenge with four milligrams of nicotine and cherry ice flavor. These products can be enjoyed anywhere, on the flight, at work, on the go, even in the gym, and many of you have heard me talk about how amazingly convenient and awesome this is. Uh, in the gym because all nootropics benefit your workout capacity. Uh, there's been a lot of research in the keto community around how the brain is the central governor of the central nervous system. And if you can ramp that up, you're going to get a big boost in your workouts. And also you get a better runner's high. I'll just say that right now. That's not a part of <laughs> anything they've written for me to read. Um, I, I tend to really enjoy increasing my runner's high or increasing my weightlifting high. You know, Arnold used to always talk about the pump. If I can increase my high from a workout, the chances of me wanting to complete that workout and to, and to come back to that workout are going to increase substantially. So sweeten the pot. Make this, make this workout the best of your life. And also know that you can use this for podcasts. You can use this for big meetings. Um, some people find it to be a pain in the ass to chew gum, especially if they need to talk or do something like that. So the lozenge is really a handy tool. And 
on flights, you know, there's a lot of p- places online or, or in the air now that are telling, you know, telling people that you can't have dip or anything like that, any type of tobacco product. So this is the way to get around that. You can throw a lozenge in under your face mask, which is also complete nonsense, and get away with it. And then you can have your nootropic boost and get a lot done while you're in the air. Lucy.co is one of my absolute favorite companies, and this product does stack well with all other nootropics. So play around with this tool. Nicotine is one of the greatest tools given to man from nature. I do have to say that uh, this product contains nicotine derived from tobacco and nicotine is an addictive chemical. I will say that I say yes to that even still. And you can get 20% off everything store-wide. Go to lucy.co and enter promo code KKP. That is L-U-C-Y dot C-O. Promo code KKP. And one more thing, last but not least, one more thing, symbiotica.com is creating supplements on the regular. Um, My brother, Shervin, is making some of the very best products that are all liposomal micelle technology. That means it is, you know, every one of their products is going to have these incredible tiny fat globules surrounding the key ingredients. So that way it passes through the stomach barriers and gets into the bloodstream most effectively. These are some of the most bioavailable supplements on the planet. They've got D3, K2, CoQ10, which many of you have heard the medical doctors on this show over the last year and a half talking about the importance of that with regard to the pandemic, plandemic, whatever you want to call that. And just overall immunity. You know, we don't get enough sunlight. We're indoors during the summer. Uh, people avoid the heat when it's really hot out. I know that's for certain. I go to Barton Springs and some of these other places and it's packed, but you walk across the street to Zilker Park and midsummer in Austin, it's a ghost town. There's a few people out there playing volleyball, some of the more hardcore folks, but it looks nothing like it does in the spring and fall. And that's because people avoid the heat. We still need D3. We still need sunshine. So if you're not getting enough sunshine, D3 K2 CoQ10 is one of my favorite products. And when you bundle this stuff at symbiotica.com, you get a fat discount. So for every product you add, meaning if I get five bottles of one thing or if I get five different bottles, I'm going to get an extra 5% off on that subscription, up to 25% off. And if you use Kyle15 at checkout, you're going to get 15% off your first order. So that could be 40% off your first order and an additional 25% each month at symbiotica.com and use code Kyle15 at checkout. Without further ado, my man, Dan Doty. Dan Doty, welcome to the podcast, brother. Hey, excited to be here, man. Nice to meet you. Yeah, good to meet you as well. I was hoping we could do it in person, but you know, these are different times, so <laughs> we're making do. Um, yeah, I thought about trying to drum up a way to 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 make an excuse to go, but <laughs> it are you, didn't happen. Do you live out in Bozeman, Montana? No, man. I I kind of wish. No, that's not true. Uh we I just moved my family to the coast of Maine. We just bought a property um uh, real close to the coast of Maine, kind of living in a a hidden away paradise here on the East Coast. Cool. Yeah, I saw I saw the uh, TED talk you did back in 2010 in Bozeman, and I was like, I got a trip. I got one of those Go Fast camper shells for the back of my truck, and I'm going to road trip yeah. up with uh, my son later this summer. And I was like, that would be a cool way to to run it back with you. But um, <laughs> no worries. I've I've, I've watched uh, a couple of your podcasts that you did with Rogan uh, back in the day. And I've been following you. I think you, you, you did, did you come out to Paleo FX to speak at times? No, man. No. No. Uh-uh. Okay. But somebody was, I mean, I know there was people there that had heard of you and were trying to get you out for that. I don't even know if you're aware of it, but <laughs> you were on the, 
the Austin radar for a while, for sure. Um, talk about talk about your yeah. life growing up and and kind of what led you to the work that you're doing right now. Yeah, man. Here's here's the here's the quick version or, or a version, I guess. Is I, I grew up in the in the about as tiny of a fucking town as you can imagine in in North Dakota, um, and you know, 500 people on the just the fucking pancake flat, cold, frigid plains of of our nation's center. Uh, and I grew up in a, a family that was super loving and together, but also uh, completely 100% shut down in terms of uh, you know some of the softer human qualities that I think we all have our emotions and our affection. And um, for example, I think I I told my mom when I was two I didn't want her to hug me, and she she somehow listened to me until I graduated high school. So that gives a an example of there's a lot of love, but just not a lot of showing that love. Uh, it was a pretty, I had a pretty sort of, I don't know if it's standard to most people, but to me it was a standard mid- Midwestern upbringing. I was capital of the football team. I was in martial arts my whole childhood. It was, you know, a, a black belt in Taekwondo. I played in metal bands. You know, I had a pretty small universe, right? I didn't, I didn't have much vision outside of, uh, of, you know, my little life in a rural place. Uh, that was my youngest years. Yeah, that that's uh, I I I grew up in a small town in the Silicon Valley of one hundred and twenty thousand, so I can't really even picture that. You know, like <laughs> Sunnyvale was Sunnyvale was by all all considerations, you know, ten x smaller than San Jose and smaller than San Francisco yeah. and Oakland, but um, definitely a different feel. My I think my graduating class in my senior year was over two thousand kids. Um. So it's, it's yeah, I had 13, a- I had 13 in my class and, uh, <laughs> you know, what's, this is a really weird little thing, but recently, so out here in the, in the Northeast, there's a lot of Amish communities and <laughs> I'm going through this really weird sort of, uh, inquiry into my own life. And like, like I didn't grow up in, in that type of traditional culture, right? It's, it's, it, it wasn't that at all. And yet when, uh, you know, when I sort of visit these traditional cultures around here. There's something there that feels very home-like and familiar to me. So I was kind of trying to pinpoint and map out how different my childhood was. And it was, man, it was pretty different. Actually, you know, the best reference point I can give, I don't know if you've ever heard of a, a show called Letter Kenny on uh, Hulu. It's no. fucking hilarious, man. But it's about a tiny town in Canada. And it's about how like there's the, uh, the druggies and the hockey players and the hicks, right? And it, Anyway, it's it it really strikes a chord in me. So if anybody wants to know kind of how it felt to grow up, that's a good place to go check it out. <laughs> that's awesome. So uh, you know, you're 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 in a small town, and obviously, I mean, I, there, there's places you grow up where you're just kind of tuned into nature. I, I remember Rogan talking about how in California you almost miss nature because there's so much light pollution at night. You don't see the stars and the weather is such where it's just like sweater and jeans or tank top and shorts, you know, it's like, no, there's no real yeah. cold winter or brutal summer. I mean, there's some parts of California that get pretty hot in the summer, but not like Arizona. And, you know, it's, there's no real stormy season, even though it rains every now and then that kind of thing. I first like really touched that when I went to school at ASU and then now being in Texas for the last four years, it's like, oh yeah, we've, we've have clear winters, clear summers. And it's kind of a coin flip in the spring and the fall. Um, yeah. What really tuned you into nature? Because you've, you've done a lot of different things that I guess have drawn you towards men's work. 
And uh, yeah. you know, I listened to an old podcast you did last year with Remy Warren, where you're talking about how he, you know, maybe less on the woo-woo side, but definitely more just kind of through happenstance stumbled upon a career in which it unlocked his inner wild man. You know, it connected him to something <laughs> deeper. Yeah. Where, where along your path did you really start to feel called into the wild? And, and was that just innate from the beginning? You know, I think, I think it was, but it came out in a couple of ways. So I'm actually right now in the middle of working on a piece of writing about that exact question, kind of a, a outdoor oriented bio of myself. And, you know, I think it was innate, but uh, it's funny, the part of North Dakota I grew up in was pure farm country. And the only trees you saw were planted by a human's hands or a machine, right? And it was, it was like a, a prairie situation. It wasn't, I didn't grow up sort of immersed in nature like I probably would have liked. But when I was 13, I was invited to a wilderness trip by my cousin's church group uh, into the uh, Boundary Waters Wilderness Canoe Area, which is in northeastern Minnesota. And we did like a seven-day uh, a seven-day, you know, canoeing wilderness expedition. It was a group of, uh, you know, like nine young kids and a and a, a husband and wife, and then this old pastor that liked to get his dick out and walk around the campfire nude. He did. He didn't molest us or nothing, but like, you know, he skinny dipped <laughs> and all that. But um, that guy sounds like that, a. Uh, he's got a red star on his house on Google. <laughs> <laughs> that trip blew my fucking 13-year-old mind in, in two ways. Like I had never, like I just had no clue, man. I'd never done anything like that. And all of a sudden we're away from all the cars and the houses and there's just rocks and trees and birds. And I mean, it just like, it, it, it was a spiritual sort of wildly expansive experience. And it, I, I joke about like two of my biggest passions in life came from that. I fell in love with nature. I fell in love with the wilderness. I also fell in love with uh, <laughs> with one of the girls on the trip, and so uh, I, I kind of joked those are my two big passions in life: women and, and nature. And uh, my wife probably doesn't want me to say that on online, but uh, yeah, man, it, it just it completely opened something in me that never ever even kind of you know shut down before uh, or since, I guess is um, and. So I'll give you a quick bio of, of like, that's, that's the early years in nature, but I went to college uh, in Northeastern Minnesota and I just sort of immersed myself in outdoor activities. My first career outside of college. So in college, I, I studied uh, philosophy. I studied anthropology. I studied sort of world studies and I, I actually traveled abroad a bunch during college. And that was, a I share that because it was a big deal. So I was like this little tiny town hick uh, you know, who kind of goes to college for a minute and then starts, you know, traveling the world. And, and the most impactful thing I did was I did a anthropological field study in Ecuador and we lived with a three different indigenous groups in Ecuador over the course of a short period of time. And, you know, was introduced to shamanism, was introduced to, to ayahuasca ceremonies, was introduced to just fucking life in this wild sort of explosive way. And so that really set me up. So when I graduated college, I became a wilderness therapy guide. I didn't know what that was. I was actually living in Panama with my girlfriend at the time and I ran out of money and I was writing a novel and just sort of living this sort of uh, wild life and I needed cash. So I went on, uh, I went on Craigslist and found a wilderness therapy guiding job, which I didn't know what that was. And so I showed up in Utah, did the training and ended up starting my first career, which was ecstatically perfect for me. It was just, I got to be this older brother figure I spent, you know, hundreds, close to a thousand days in the wilderness, guiding young people, helping them open up, helping them, you know, be who they am. And all along, even with, without knowing it at the time, 
starting to sort of open up the doors inside of me that were pretty locked shut. So that first career, man, really set the tone. Uh, And it wasn't necessarily a conscious choice to just work with boys, but it was where I was put. And then I, I really became, you know, fairly, I would say, yeah, obsessive with the question, like, why are these young men having a hard time in life, right? What's going on here? And then towards the end of my time at that, uh, I started to specialize with fathers and sons specifically. So uh, I would notice the dynamic between fathers and sons and it just, that hooked me. That was it. I was like, what the fuck is going on here? What is not happening? What is happening that these obviously good men with good hearts just can't simply uh, show up and love their kids and know how to give love and know how to communicate. And so anyway, that was like the inception of this uh, sort of wild path that I've taken in terms of males, masculinity, and men's work. That was really where it started for me. Yeah, it's such a big one. Uh, That was one of the things that really struck a chord. Um, I was trying to draw out of Will Tegel when I had him on the podcast, but he talked about that in, in uh, one of his eight books, I think it's called Walking with Bears. I've mentioned it a bunch on this podcast. And he talked about how you know, he had all the degrees you could get in college, a uh, PhD in psychology, and was a licensed therapist down in Houston when he started working with, um, uh, man, now I'm forgetting the guy's name, Bearhart Williams. And Bearhart took him to see some elders and they were doing traditional sweat lodges and things like that. And he said one night they were around a campfire and uh, all the elders were kind of giving him shit. They're like, oh, you know, does that even work? You know, and he's like, what do you mean does that work? It's the best we have. And, uh, you know, as he got honest, he was like, you know, it never really heals anybody. It, it, it works to a degree, but it's not healing people. And, and they said, maybe it's because you're doing it from an office. You know, maybe it's because you're doing it indoors. And he said, well, how, how would you, you know, mm-hmm. work with somebody to heal them? And he said, I would take them, for, you know, all, every one of them said, we take them for a walk in nature. We analyze their gait. We see how they tune into the eco field. We see if they're in communion with the surroundings. We see how they, if they feel safe or not outdoors and in nature. And so much of that spoke to me because, um, yeah. Yeah, it is a it's a huge missing component. You know, pre screens even it was a missing component, and obviously now in the modern world, it's it's um, we're seeing more and more of the deleterious effects of the the human experiment we're in. Yeah, man, I I was just a kind of a dumb naive kid when I was out there at that time, right? But I would joke with people. People would ask me like, "Do you have a therapist?" And I'd be like. No, motherfucker, I have a sleeping bag. <laughs> I sleep on the <laughs> ground, right? And, and I didn't even know what that meant at the time, but it meant, you know, it meant something. And the, the other thing that happened was that I spent enough time out there with uh, not much to do, right? For, I mean, you can imagine if you're out for, the kid's out for 120 days and I'm out for a big chunk of that with them. You know, we hike from camp to camp. You know, we do some journaling. We do some circles. You know, we eat some food and but there's a lot of fucking downtime, man. And so what the other thing that happened to me without me knowing it was an initiation into uh, what I would now refer to as, as sort of the natural state of the body or the somatic experience of being uh, tuned in and completely sort of slowed down and relaxed, right? And that was something that I couldn't, I don't know how you would ever pay or invest in in that sort of experience other than just actually that much time. I actually know you can do it quicker with, with the right guidance, but yeah, that was um, that time that like, I just feel it's so wildly grateful to have sort of stumbled into that path to like basically spend my early and mid twenties 
out under the stars on the ground, you know, helping people unearth their own uh, inner blocks and, and, you know, in doing so sort of begin to soften mine, which actually didn't happen. So uh, in my, the, the next thing I did in my life is I, I moved to New York City. I became a New York, I wanted to get a higher degree, right? So I moved to New York City, became a teaching fellow. So that, what that meant is I basically traded uh, a free master's of education for teaching in the Bronx for a couple of years. And that was a, just a beautiful, beautiful experience. And I basically was able to leverage my you know, outdoor leadership and, and sort of mentoring capacity to this group of young people in the Bronx, which was one, one of the most important things I've ever done in my life. But uh, what happened along with that was I, I just burnt, I got burnt out and really fucked up myself, you know? So I'm like a 26, 27, 28 year old guy in New York City, totally burnt out, uh, you know, addiction problems, porn addiction, sex addiction, just like really in a bad way and not even knowing it and not knowing where to go. It's funny. So I, I like worked in a therapeutic context for a long time, but had, you know, was uh, blunt headed enough to not have any, you know, reflexive capacity to see that I needed, I probably needed some help too. And so anyway, I, I put myself in that sort of, uh, you know, grinder of New York and, and it chewed me up. And so I had a pretty big breakdown and, and that was, you know, just the biggest turning point of my life. From that, I found my own, my first men's group. I found my first therapist. I started. Uh, I found a meditation community that I really resonated with. I traveled to, I traveled to Peru and actually sat in in medicine ceremony for the first time. And um, it was just like you know one of those moments that it was like my whole life came down to a single point, and then it just kind of there's a big bang, right? In terms of identity in terms of who I was, of who I thought I was, just completely exploded. So that was, you know, that's a good, I don't know, I'm about a dozen years out from that now, you know, and um, in some sense, uh, it was a real, you know, it was, it was more than initiation. It was, it was a really big deal. Yeah, I think back, I was just talking to um, a couple of Dr. Dan Engel's favorite curanderos, uh, you know, people who've been working with ayahuasca for at least a couple of decades. And, and, uh, you know, when, when Dr. Dan Engel tells me that is a guy who spent a year in the Amazon. So it's, uh, yeah, I take his, his word very seriously when it comes to those matters. And, and the fact that he's sat with them more than any other people at 400 plus, uh, sittings with ayahuasca. And he says he continues to sit with them more than anyone else. I was like, man, I'd, I'd love to meet these guys. And I got to sit with, a uh, a husband and wife that work in tandem and we didn't drink medicine. We just, we just talked a lot about some of the different experiences I've had and trajectories and things of that nature and just got to know them. But, um, that was, uh, you know, it brought up a lot for me because I was talking about some of my first journeys, you know, and like the, the doorway that gets opened when you go through, you know, with respect and reverence in the right container uh, that is ayahuasca, if you, if that's done properly, there's there's really nothing else. Talk about how that shifted you and, and what were maybe some of the key downloads and, and uh, new understandings <laughs> yeah. that you got from those experiences. Oh, I'd love to. I actually haven't, I haven't shared too much publicly about this, but I'm, I'm really excited to. Uh, I'll back up for a second. So that first time that I went to the to the Amazon uh, on that uh, study trip that I mentioned, we we stayed with a, a group on the Napo River in Ecuador, and we were invited out to an ayahuasca ceremony, but we were not invited to drink. Right, we were invited just to sit and and the shaman uh, drank and sang and did a ceremony and did a lot of blessings, and and it was 
you know, it was, it was just utterly captivating and, and beautiful. And <laughs> I'll share something that I like kind of don't want to share, but, uh, at the, at the really intense sort of apex of the ceremony when, you know, he's singing really hard and really getting after it. Um, he brought it to a crescendo and swear to fucking God, um, a single bolt, bolt of lightning like came and hit a tree, like, you know, right by us. And that was the only one, right? It's not like there was the storm. It's not like it was fucking raining. It was anything. And so that might be the world's just most, you know, random coincidence or, you know, to a 20 year old, uh, impressionable young man, I was like, holy fuck, the world is not, the universe is not what I think it is. And so that really kicked off my entire twenties was a, was a pretty deep dive into, um, study, you know, amateur anthropological study into shamanism. So I think I read every goddamn thing I think I could find. And, uh, you know, I traveled, I did some, did some psilocybin ceremonies with, um, you know, healers in Mexico. I kind of, I kind of did this traveling sort of gentle foray into, into shamanism and, and plant medicine through most of my twenties. So anyway, now fast forward to, uh, going to, Peru. And, uh, I worked with a, a place called blue morpho, um, which I had a great experience with. And is that so Don Alberto's a, place? What's that? Is that Don Alberto's place? Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah Aubrey, Don Aubrey's been Ham- there. Hamilton. Yeah. And Hamilton. That's one of Aubrey's main, main teachers. Cool. Yeah, man. So my experience, I'll share now, it's just not the normal experience, right? So I did, I think it was five ceremonies in eight days. I did a dieta with it. I did, I did the, 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 the diet. Um, and, you know, the experience of it for me, the best way I can explain it was that I felt like I had been wearing a snowsuit my entire life, right? So coming from North Dakota, that, that was my reference point, right? Like I've been wearing this thick, heavy, claustrophobic, like just thing binding me, right? Binding my whole entire body. And I felt like that process, I just stepped the fuck out of it. I unzipped it. And and all of a sudden I was there and I was naked and I could feel. And uh, I, you know, if you could measure psychic, like extra pounds, like I, I, I shed tons and tons and tons of, you know, built up shit. And it was really beautiful. Um, and the more important part I would even say is that I, uh, I got stuck open, I guess is maybe the best way to say it. And so for about the next 10 and a half or 11 months, um, I was in a perpetual ceremony. I tripped for almost a year. And, it, and it, so every time I closed my eyes, I lived in Brooklyn at the time. Every time I closed my eyes, I would go into a full, full, complete uh, experience even in waking life i would see things i would hear things i was not in what would you consider a a normal state of being right i was i was just i was tripping balls for uh, a very long time and and i i say that a little bit flippant I, I don't say it flippantly i guess right it was it was absolutely terrifying it was absolutely terrifying i i was able i like i was in a safe place um i used it i sort of I wrote a novel. I recorded an album. I uh, I was in a super creative state, and um, it was during that time that I sort of uh, processed out of my sort of intense shift, and and I moved out west. I moved into a little cabin up a river, 
up in Northern Idaho. And I just actually, the first month when I got to the cabin, I think I slept like 16 hours a day for about a month straight. And, and I knew, you know, I was scared, man. I thought I'd lost it. I had lost it, you know, and I wasn't sure if I would ever sort of come back. Um, and so I kind of very I, I innately or primally felt like I need to get somewhere in nature and I need to chill the fuck out. And so, um, so I did. And, and I started to, you know, slowly put myself back together. A whole year. I mean, uh, you know, it's, I, I had a, many of the listeners here have heard of the, the solo cast I did with on a five MEO Sonoran desert tow journey. I had last, last solstice and how that lasted 17 days. And I literally was losing my mind for 17 days. Cause every night I'd go to bed, it would enter into just as strong a psychedelic state. And one of the things that comforted me was, was learning that, you know, Carl Jung's red book and his black books, which, which came out later, um, which were the journals of, of what he used to write the red book with that he underwent something similar, but it lasted four years. And I was like, I don't, I, there's no, there's no chance I can withstand this for four years. And thankfully, you know, one of my mentors, Paul check, he uh, was able to close that loop for me, but a year, I mean, that just sounds like, you know, knowing that that is a, even a possibility right now that a door can be opened that, will stay open as long as it needs to be, you know, I mean, I guess it's all medicine by the end of the day, but the level of that challenge and, and the fact that we're, you know, it's, it's not like we're held. It's not like you're just hanging out in Peru for the year while you work through this stuff. Like you're back in (laughs) mainstream society, you know, every night I'm going to sleep, I'm entering into the darkest places I've ever been on any medicine it's as strong as any medicine. And when I wake up, I got a dad, you know, like I got to, I got to do the dadding deal. I got to be the husband. I got to do all the things that I need to do to survive and to, to show up to the responsibilities that I've, I have accumulated over the years. And then I have this, this deep work to do at nighttime. And it, it, you know, Jamie wheel called it night school, but I'm like, I, I I'm not certain that that's for everyone, you know? <laughs> like I, no, no, it, it is fucking not, man. And <laughs> you know, like I, I look back, I couldn't be more grateful at this point. At this point, I couldn't be more grateful. It took me a lot of years to become all the way grateful for it. And it's taken me a lot of sort of, you know, I, I lived with an ex-girlfriend, that same ex-girlfriend I, I mentioned earlier, her name was Jess. And, um, just recently, even I had a, I, we had a, a call, we talked and um, I kind of asked her, you know, like I have these such intense memories from that time and I have this whole like narrative in my head and I had to just kind of check in and be like, is that what was going on? You know, did it seem like that what was going on to you? And, and she affirmed it and I just broke down, man. I just totally broke down. It's like, you know, cause it was such a lonely thing. And you know, the benefits are, are insanely real, right? Like I learned to let go over and over and over and over and over and over. And there was never any choice other than that, right? I'd, I'd get to bed. I'd be like, all right, maybe tonight, you know, it'll be easy. Close my eyes. And then I'd start entering the space and it's like, all right, there's, I get a little emotional. even just saying there's, there's no way I can fight this, right? I know. I mean, I learned. I learned that if there's any resistance I put up, that it's not going to go well. And so I just had to learn to fucking let go. And, uh, you know, that's a valuable skill. That's a valuable skill to have. Um, and it's a, it is a joke, kind of. And I think that um, 
I wonder sometimes the joke I share is like I either it either wore off or I got used to it. And I actually don't know the answer to what the fuck. <laughs> you know, I, I, I one of those two things or some combination of that happened. And um, you know, it's it is interesting to be in that deep of a space for that long on my own. I, I I'm undertaking some pretty substantial uh Tibetan Buddhist study now and and I have been really since then, but even more so now and just to of so much compassion for that, you know, good-hearted young 28-year-old dude who's sitting in a in a apartment in Brooklyn by himself, you know, terrified on the most deep existential place of of, you know, thinking that my mind is just not there anymore and uh now from a place of study, two things come to mind like a not having any kind of structure or view or understanding of what was going on my god what a that's hard that's hard you know and and i i had people who loved me but for whatever reason i didn't have the wherewithal to reach out to somebody who could have maybe guided me a little bit better i at that time i i just had an exercise i didn't know how to ask for help you know i didn't and so i have a lot of compassion for that dude and then you know the 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 other part that that comes to mind as i sort of get more into well i, I don't know i kind of lost what i was going to say there but i just want to reaffirm the now sort of studying the, the consciousness on a much more particular and precise way um there's just there is a lot of benefit right like my my capacity to to support other people and hold space for other people and myself is it's very fundamentally different now you know and um, yeah, that's that's something yeah, Paul Check offered to me. Is he he had that's something Paul Check offered to me is that he said, you know, if you're ever planning to hold space for somebody else, you don't want to get a phone call from them, you know, two weeks after a meeting, and uh, and they're yeah. in this place and you've never been there before. You know, think of the offering that yeah. that 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 will support. You know, the fact that you've walked that walk. Um, Certainly that resonates now where it, 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 at the time I was like, I don't give a fuck about anybody else. I just want to get my, my, my brain back in order. I want to believe the things that I used to believe. I want to have some type of something to hold on to, to track as a compass, uh, you know, a, <laughs> yeah. a North, I don't know where my North star is. I don't know how to guide myself right now. And, and I don't know when it's going to end. Um, it's almost like parenting in a way, you know, there's no manual, there's no, uh, this is how it's done. This is how it's been done. This is, this is, these are the people who have gone through it and done it in a good way. Um, and it, I think that's, that's what makes it an initiation. Yep. Yeah. I count that as my second big initiation, man. I, I count my first one is all that time in the, in the, in the woods, in the mountains, in my early twenties, I count the, the psychedelic experiences as number two. And then I mean, there's more I can talk about too, but you know, the other thing that had happened that what that experience brought to me was a, uh, a comp- just a complete sort of flip of, um, I would say priority and understanding, you know, I was such a seeker, <clears throat> like all the way, man, you know, like I thought <laughs> all the things I thought I would be, you know, the, the wilderness stuff, the helping other people, the shamanism, all of that had such like, I had such a naive young almost beautiful. I look back on it. like, what a, I had a beautiful intent intention for my life and I wanted to help so much. And, and I, I really feel insane. I somehow lucked out and my, my young years and my twenties, I got on the right train, you know, like I got on the right train in terms of my life. And, and I feel like the experiences I had there set me up 
in such a in such a, a good way, right? I didn't. It's not like I ever really went too far down a road that that I probably shouldn't have. But what I did after that big experience was <clears throat> kind of shift into a uh, a more uh, close to home life for a while, right? I actually I, I stumbled into my next career, which was uh, becoming the producer and director of a of a show called Meat Eater with Stephen Ranella, and um, you know that was not in the direction of shamanism. That was not in the direction of sort of wilderness therapy or or any of that kind of stuff. And it was really just this incredible fucking thing that that I got to get into. And it was it was both a wildly adventurous um, exciting part of my life, but it was also practical. Like, you know, like I, I, I made a good living and put myself together and, um, you know, got to live half my life out on these wild adventures and half my life, you know, just having a, a cool New York existence. And, um, you know, it was, I also learned skills, man. You know, I learned to tell stories I learned to, I did learn to operate a camera, which was fun and all, but that, but more so I learned how to, how to speak. I learned how to communicate. I learned how to get a message out and build a brand and and all of those things. And that became this just really beautiful little chunk of my life, which lasted about, I guess, another four years. I have these like four year, five year chunks of my life that seemed to play out. And then towards the end of that, I met my wife, moved back to Montana, like got back out West and then starting to have babies. And, And then I, I actually, I ended that career um, right around when my first son was born, which was 2016. Duke was born, and and then we launched Everyman. I launched uh, I launched this organization that uh, became, you know, the the center point of of my sort of mission and focus for a handful of years. Which just to sort of get, get share the punchline, I've I've now since left Everyman and I've just launched my my own deal, which is which was the right choice, but. Um, yeah, that that chunk of time, and that you know, I went out and took Joe Rogan on his, you know, was there on his first deer hunt, and went on a couple hunts with him, and just had this like, uh, I don't know, I think of that a little bit as just a uh, a breather from intensity, but also just sort of like a fucking party, man. Like that's about that's you know, if if I I like to party, but my sense of party is probably isn't <laughs> the common one. I just like to get as far out in the fucking boonies. And you know, shit in a hole, and sit around a fire, and eat food, and kill a big animal, and you know, that's a party to me. Yeah, the the partying I did at ASU, it, it, it would leave me, you know, it, it it took its toll on the body, and would leave me, you know, not feeling a hundred percent the next day. The the parties that you have on hunts, where you're you're just as tired the next day, but it's a you know, the cup is full at least. It's not depleting, right? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, big. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I want to dive in. Thank you for bringing us up to date. And, uh, you know, that's so, it really is cool. I mean, as a, as a fan of Rogan's and yours and somebody, you know, like I was drawn into hunting because of Joe and, and, um, you know, it's, it's something, you know, it's something my father and my uncles had done a lot growing up. I'd go on hunts and, and be a part of the experience, but never really hunted. And then football and fighting just didn't offer enough time to get into it. But now, yeah, it's something that I I deeply love and adore, and um, it is something that connects us to an inherent piece that's missing within. Talk about you know some of these pieces that, that you know you spoke on with what's missing with men today in the world. Oh yeah, uh, <clears throat> oh gosh, I mean the first thing that comes to mind is 
would just be to say probably a lot, <laughs> you know, but, but I don't even mean that super uniquely to men. I, I feel that, uh, more and more, I'm just sort of seeing our, our current reality. I don't know if that it's through an accurate lens, but just through a, what seems to be more sharp, you know, in my focus, I, I feel like our men's humanity is, is the first thing that comes to mind. And, and that's a big word. But what I mean by that is, the full expression of who we fucking are, right? Like, like in, in all, and in the whole spectrum, if, if you imagined a spectrum of human experience and that could involve any and all current, future, and past experiences that any, any human could have, I feel like there's some just general big holes in, in those spectrums and it's changing and this certainly isn't for everyone. So, so I'm not, I'm not trying to generalize all the way, but you know, just what it comes down to Oftentimes, uh, you know, emo- you can talk about emotions for sure, that men have not been conditioned or, sh- or shown or taught how to feel things. And so there's a hell of a lot of repression that happens in general. And that's, and that was the main focus of every man, right? That's, that's what we brought forward with every man was just saying, Hey dudes, like life ain't so good when you shove everything down. And there's some ways that you can start to not do that and we can get used to it. We can do it together. And it's a little scary, but it's also a little fun and it'll have a lot of good impact on your life. And so that was that. Uh, but what I found doing that work and even, even more is that, you know, our bodies, you know, like, like what's missing is a real connection to our bodies in a, in a way that is not, I, how can I put words to this? So, you know, we may be connected to our bodies going to the gym or, you know, getting fit or optimizing all that way. But there's just this sort of basic sense of the natural state of being this. Actually, that's a good way to say it, man. If you broke, you know, existence into being and doing categories, the whole being category is generally uh, underserved in a lot of men. But what what I actually want to drive to here, which I see as the heart of pretty much everything, is love. And and I don't mean this in a in a like a, a, a highfalutin or a, like a general or even a spiritual sense. I mean it just actually, right? I mean actually giving and receiving love. And as a dad, and that's where a lot of my work today focuses on is with fathers. But that's one way that a man's, you know, you go along your life, you go along your life, all of a sudden you have a little kid and all of a sudden your heart just fucking ruptures. <laughs> it's just, oh, Jesus Christ, what is all this feeling, right? What is all this love? Uh, wow, I care so much. Why am I so impacted, right? And and so, uh, I mean, there's a lot, you know, the I think the soft parts of life are one, right? So the love, the feeling and all and the and the being and all that. But then there is also on the other side of the spectrum, just sort of like the practical, visceral, archaic, primal ways of being that involve uh, you know, getting dirty and and sometimes blood and sometimes a lot of discomfort and really just the 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 visceral part of um the dirty work of life, which you could call that shit masculine. You could call it a lot of stuff. I think that those terms are, are uh, sometimes get confusing and not super helpful, but um, you know, it's, it's uh, all that man, just to wrap it up. There's a lot, <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of stuff, but I am encouraged that, you know, there's so much, there's so much sort of foray into this these days, you know, like people like, like Joe and yourself and like, there's so much cool expansion happening these days. It feels like. Yeah, what's resonating with me right now is as you, as you speak about this, there's a softening that's occurring with man, but it's not the softening we're looking for, right? There's there's a a softening yeah, that allows us yeah. to open our hearts and express ourselves. And you know, you, you, in your TED talk, you use terms like vulnerability and and um, 
that's something that gets tossed around a lot in woo circles and things like that. But at the end of the day, it is a valuable term to be able to openly express oneself. And that's something that's stifled culturally for men and women, you know, but so, so we have a correct softening, which would potentially open our hearts and draw our guard down and allow us to express ourselves in a way where we can feel seen and heard. And maybe that's not happening at the scale we need it to, but you're, that's the work you're doing and the work mm-hmm. we're doing. And, and then there's this actual softening where it's almost like a dumbing down that's happening yeah. where it's, it's, it's not necessarily the productive softening. You know, it's the, it's the taking men out of nature uh, instead of building things and using our hands and, and, you know, protecting ourselves and protecting our loved ones. We're, you know, on a computer all day long with blue light indoors and, and not, <laughs> not really getting after it. There's no blood, sweat, and tears. There's just uh, yeah. tears that are welling up inside. No, man, I'm, I'm going through that right. Even just for myself, like, like I've been on top of this for a long time, but you know, we just made a choice to, to really change our lifestyle. And, you know, like just even in the past week, um, you know, it may sound a little bit cliche, but I, I bought a truck, I, I bought a chainsaw, you know, I'm prepping wood to heat our home for, for the winter. You know, we're getting a boat. I'm going to, I bought a freezer so I can pack it full of meat. And like, Again, that might seem cliche, but but it is it is a it is such a deeply satisfying for me anyway. It's a, such a deeply satisfying way of life and a way of being. And and I think that you know I I really need to do a better job at this. But I'm I'm gonna share a bit of a quote. So this came from Terry Real, who's a, a psychologist and uh, has uh, specialized with masculinity and men for a long time. Really, really, really highly valuable body of work Terry Real has and. And so I'm going to, I apologize for sort of butchering his quote, but he, he tells a quote about being uh, with a tribe in Africa and speaking to the elders and, and hearing this, this statement about masculinity in men, uh, which is basically like, you know, as a man, uh, when it's time to be tender, you, you don't just, you, you don't just kind of show up and half-ass it. You learn to be so fucking tender, your heart is blown open and you feel like the most tiny tendril of your child's being and like this just beautiful way of saying it. And then when, when it's time to be firm, like you don't just be firm. You like, you make it very clear that no one will fuck with you. Like no one, like, like you, so it's, it's really this idea of like pushing the, the ends of the spectrum in those different directions. So in the, in the version of the heart, like fucking go there, right? Like go there, don't half ass it. And when you go to the to the harder elements of life, again, same thing. Like if you're going to be a warrior, be a fucking warrior. I love that. Yeah, that that <laughs> that resonates big time. Yeah, I think about that too. You know, the the and also thinking about what you're talking about. You know, like having the freezer full of meat, and it's 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 a funny thing because uh, I remember when Rogan had the Doomsday Prepper on um, right around when lockdown started. You know, he was, he was talking about how he, I forget the guy's name, but um, he was doing documentaries or writing a book on doomsday preppers almost as like to make fun of them, you know, in a way. Mm. And then he started mm-hmm. living, you know, at some of these different encampments and he was like, well, actually like 80% of this is super valuable. It's, you know, maybe I don't need yeah. like a nuclear yeah. fallout fucking bunker, but um a lot of this other stuff is just common sense, you know, and every year throughout yeah. history, people would prepare for a long winter or 
food shortages or a poor crops, you know, fill in the blank. There was some type of preparation that went in. And what they did is it alleviated stress. And as a provider and a protector of my family, you know, the second you have kids, like all that shit starts to come up really importantly. And it may not come up for us consciously, but it certainly comes up for us one way or another, whether we can recognize what it is or what it isn't. And, um, you know, that's, that's something that's been spoken about before amongst, you know, people who know, you know, uh, John Hackleman, who was Chuck Liddell's coach and one of my coaches in mixed martial arts, he said, you know, that the, the, the people who are out there that are causing violence and doing these things are the ones that are inherently weak. You know, like there's no black belt sitting mm-hmm. at a bar that's going to go around picking fights with people because they've exercised that chip off their shoulder. Even if that's yeah. that, why they got into martial arts. Once they've made it all the way to black belt, they know themselves. There's no fight left in them. And if there is, then they can handle that in the appropriate place. They're not trying to find that, you know, on the streets. And, um, you know, I think about that, you know, as, as a protector, it, you know, it's the people who really don't feel safe and don't feel protected are the ones that are going to lash out, you know, and, and once you have that, that's something that you don't, yeah. there's no bandwidth in the back of my mind that says, am I safe right now? You know, and, and there's no bandwidth, thankfully, due to prepping. You know, we, we have a pantry full of water and, and stored food yeah. and I've got meat in the freezer and things like that. And I've, I've, I feel skilled enough to go on a hunt and, and be able to bring back an animal. You know, all these things that kind of cover those bases so that in my everyday waking consciousness, there's no question marks in the back of my mind saying like, oh shit, you know, uh, what's going to happen if this happens? What's going to happen if this happens? And that's so freeing to just do a very <laughs> small amount of that. You know, like I'm, go to Costco and get some grass-fed sausages and it's like, oh, I can grab a couple more of these each trip. It's not like I'm spending thousands of dollars, but if I tack $30 yeah. onto my grocery bill each time I go and I start to accumulate yeah. some extra stuff, that goes a long way. And, and it, as it turns out, you know, when we had the snowpocalypse, that shit mattered. It really mattered having that. Everyone lost power. People lost water. We had eight people staying at our house on extra beds and we provided for everyone and we had an excess, you know, and, and that wasn't the experience of a lot of people here in Texas. You know, we're, we're fortunate in that way, but prepping went a long way. And we, we had, I didn't, I started that maybe three months before this storm hit. So it was like, it's Mm -hmm. not like we had a long lead up to it, but it really came in handy. And the proof was made right there. Like, oh, okay. This is why we do these, these small little things that, you know, for a protector and a provider actually matter and alleviate a great deal of, of something that potentially would take up a lot of space, background noise in, in my mind. I, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, there's two huge pings that come up in me. I'll, the first one, I'll, I'll say a little on the short side, but I actually think there's kind of two things I'm hearing there. <clears throat> one is the, uh, one is the like basic safety and security, right. And, and being able to let down your guard and know that you're, you and your family's taken care of. And, and that's one. And, and then there's also, I think at, at sometimes it's tied to that and sometimes it's not, but it's also just this sense of self and the sense of acceptance amongst a, like say a community of men, like a, a buddy of mine's name is Rourke Denver and he was a commander of the Navy SEALs and he was sort of in the movies for a while, has a couple of good books out there. And he and I had a, had a chat once just about how 
there sort of is this uh, initiation or, and it's different, it, it shows up differently for, for almost everybody, but there's a commonality and like, you know, Rourke would talk about how, you know, uh, fitness dudes would come to him now and be like, Hey, do this crazy challenge with me, you know, do this like seven day fucking upside down skiing, hiking, running, fucking diving, uh, race with me. And it'll be blasting. He's like, you know, like I just don't fucking care anymore. You know, like there's this sense of self proof. Like, so men in the military, I would imagine fighters like yourself, for me, it was like, very, very long, intense, huge packouts in the mountains and things like this. Basically, knowing that you can push yourself to a place uh, far beyond, and then, and then, just like a switch kind of goes off, and you may still want to prove yourself, and you may still go there. But there is sort of like a set point that I've found in man. It's like, okay, I have done X hard thing. Um, I feel strong enough in my own identity that I can kind of let that go. So I, I think that's that's one thing that that's happening here, but. Well, you're talking about like the actual safety and security of being a provider. Man, I went through another fucking initiation where that was like so it 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 like it it's consumed my life and I'm actually just getting to the other side of it. So, um I started the company every man, you know, with some co-founders and we had legit sort of press success. And in terms of starting a movement, we got a lot of attention. We sold out everything we did and it's still going, right? So every man's still happening. You can, you can go check it out. Amazing, good shit. Um, and so here I was like fully expressed in like what I wanted to bring to the world. I was scared. I was like, I don't want to get on stage. I don't want to, I'm scared to do this. And I did it and it landed and it worked. And I just gave it every single thing I had and we didn't, uh, I was immature in a business sense. I was immature in a practical sense and didn't, didn't set up like the right business model in the early days. And so I put my family through fucking hell and we didn't have, like we were like, we missed rent. We like went through this just insanely hard time. We ended up moving into a 33 foot RV on a farm in Southern California, um, not just because we wanted to be minimalist, because I couldn't fucking pay rent, man. And so I was living this wildly sort of disparate life where, you know, in all, like I was living my dream and delivering my message and it was working and everything. And then at the end, it, but it wasn't paying, it wasn't paying back. And so I lived with three and a half to four years of just absolute desperation on that, on that front of being a provider, right? And I just... I just, I was just like, I'm just going to fucking push this through. We just got to keep going. We just got to keep going. We just got to keep going. And um, that strategy didn't ever actually work. Um, you know, things are, things are different now. I'm like, things like I'm out of that, thank God. But I feel like I had to learn that lesson like the really fucking hard way. And, you know, there's a lot of privilege here, right? So it's not like, you know, we, there would have always been a place for us to sleep. We have loving family, we have places to go. So I, I don't mean to like, come off too, but I see this as a very self-created reality, right? Like I, I did that. And so, uh, I, you know, have been in this process of, of growing up and maturing recently, which is very practically oriented. So when we're talking about the hunt and we're talking about like the security, like in modern day times, you got to think about that in, in, in terms of like, how do you make a living? Right. It's, it's, it just is that now. So, um, here I am, you know, fill in my freezer and, 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 you know, stack and firewood, but, but the actual sort of hunting in, in practical terms today is, you know, setting the right, uh, revenue structure on my business and, and, you know, marketing in the right way and all that stuff. So anyway, I, I didn't want to leave that one hanging because I, um, 
I, and I never went through that before, that sort of like freak out financial place. And it happened literally as I was having little babies, right? It's just like, I, it was fucking hell, man. <laughs> yeah, that resonates big time. That's one of the reasons I left the UFC. I was living with my my then girlfriend at the time, now wife, Natasha, and we lived in my mother's detached garage for for six years, you know, while I was a professional athlete, supposedly, and working two extra jobs, bouncing and bartending and personal training. And it's like I just saw the writing on the wall, you know, and um, wanting to have kids at that point was definitely a driver for it. But, um, you know, the, the need to provide and the need to protect and the need to educate all the, all these things, it, it's, as it arises, it's really important that we have tools from people that have been there. And I think that's, what's so great about the work that you're doing now is that, you know, you've lived these experiences on all the sides and you get to speak to the importance of how we raise little ones and how we set up boys to become men in the modern world just due to the fact that you can we can look out in the modern world and see there's a lot of things that are broken and need fixing you know and and I think your personal yeah. experience lends uh lends you a big hand in the work that you're doing talk about what what you have going on now on a personal level um and on a business level that you've uh, moved on from every man yeah, um, you know, on a personal level, it's it was, it was just like this, and it's all just sort of coming to fruition right now. But it's just this beautiful, uh, you know, we live on a coast of Maine, and it, we're just choosing. It's it's a it's a family choice, man. And I th- like we found what seems to be, um, in our view, like the best we could find in terms of a place to raise our family. And our our values are nature. Our values are community, and you know, time together. Um, so that's really, you know, at the heart of it. And so uh, I couldn't, I couldn't feel more fortunate and grateful, man. So what, what I do now, how I work with people is I, I do have, I have a coaching practice and that's both uh, leadership corporate sort of that end of the thing, but more, more often I work with, you know, tends to be dads, uh, with fairly meaningful or big substantial jobs and a, a, a growing spiritual, emotional, personal practice, right? That's sort of like the, that's the core of, of who I work with. And, um, what I'm really excited about, I'm, I'm really kind of starting to work in two specific ways. And one's a fatherhood sort of platform. And, and I'm doing these, uh, deep dive, you know, five or six month small group, uh, sort of high, High intensive, high dollar uh, men's groups just for dads, and and there's I coach, you know, I do one on one coaching and 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 run these uh, transformational like healing groups. It's just it's just the best thing I've fucking done, man. Like I just I love it so much. I'm so I'm so into it, um, and it's really working. And then the other area I'm focusing on is is more of this wilderness and meditative focus specifically. You know, I think in the long run, you know, if we talk in 10, 15, 20 years, I think. Probably all all I will be doing at that point will be uh, taking people in the middle of the wilderness and sitting on our butts and laying on our backs and and opening up and connecting and and really doing the somatic. So um, I'm training in a lineage. Uh, my teacher's name is Reggie Ray, and he was a student of Chogam Trungpa Rinpoche in a Tibetan Vajrayana Buddhist lineage. And now that's that's a huge huge center point of my life, and um, you know my expression of that in the world is is to use nature as a as a conduit there. You know, I think it, it's not only nature, like I, I do teach meditation in non non outdoor settings too. But you know, 
like I'm alive for just you know who knows how much longer. I might as well fucking party, right? So party today, uh, party today is to go out in the in the, in the wilderness and uh, open up to the mystery and really you know do do what happens. So yeah, those those are my biggest passions, and and uh, I also I'm about to to launch a new podcast. It's not quite ready. I'm excited about that. I, I hosted the Everyman podcast for a couple of years, and that was really rewarding. But I'm about to launch a new one and. Writing. I'm. I'm also. I'm also a closeted writer. I've, I have like a handful of novels in in my back pocket that I've not really ever shared, and and I'm working on some other pieces. And so, honestly, it feels like you know I'm almost forty, and it's like, all right, finally, I'm just going to set down everybody else's agenda and just do exactly what I want. And I'm I'm pretty excited about that, man. That's awesome, brother. I'm excited for it too. You know, uh, we we collaborate with a lot of other amazing people in, in fit for service. Uh, Aubrey and I, you know, obviously something Aubrey started his mastermind group, and I'm one of the main state coaches with Eric Godsey and, and Caitlin Howe, and we've had Tim Corcoran out and some other some other fantastic people that are uh, similar in nature. But I'd love to get you out for one of our events. You know, I think I think you could offer a lot, and um, I'd love, love to, to turn. I sat in group with Tim for a while. Oh, that's incredible. Tim Corcoran. Yeah, man. Yeah, he's a in great, Northern great Idaho, dude. very randomly. Yeah, he's a good guy. That's awesome. Yeah, I would love to, man. I would love to do that. Beautiful, brother. Well, where can people find you and when's your podcast launching? Uh, dandoty.com, D-A-N-D-O-T-Y.com, uh, Instagram. Uh, whoever you are, Dan Doty on Instagram, that that has the Dan Doty handle, I'm coming for you. But right now, I'm Daniel Doty uh, at Dan Doty <laughs> You had to go full, full Daniel on him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um and the podcast probably probably late July or August. Actually I'm not I'm not going to give any uh I'm not going to say yet cuz I just don't know. Okay. I'm working on it. Good stuff, brother. Well, uh that'll give us good reason to circle back. I'll start tuning into that when it launches. Um it's been excellent having you on, brother, and I appreciate the work that you're doing in the world. Thank you so much. Thanks, man. Take care. Take care. Take care.